Hi there, I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana, an issue-oriented newsmaker radio program heard weekdays on 18 radio stations with 27 signals all across the Treasure State. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and we'll do our best to keep you connected. We're also on Facebook at Voices of Montana and on the Internet at VoicesOfMontana.com, where I'd love to hear from you. Contact me at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. You know, I was thinking as we have Brad Johnson in studio here today that, oh, the Senate race is down to two, but it's not actually. I, I, I checked again. There, there's a third person in this race, uh, and that is Charles Walking Child Sr. We're talking about the race for John Kester's U.S. Senate seat. There's a GOP primary going on for that. Yes, it's got some attention. Brad Johnson announced in November his intention to run for this race. And, in fact, in fact, he was the first U.S. Senate candidate to file for this race as well. He's here in studio as we talk about the issues that voters will take to the polls as they decide this election for U.S. Senate. Very critical race here in Montana. That today on Voices of Montana. Uh, Bradley S. Johnson, candidate for U.S. Senate in studio. How you doing, sir? Tom, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I, I really appreciate being here. Haven't been in studio for a while. It's great to be back. You used to sit in this seat a time or two as I, well. Guess I have folks. done that. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, radio can be fun, right? It's a blast. Here's what I like about it. You you get to say things in your own words. Okay. I'll ask some questions. I might have a comment. We might argue for the heck of it. But um, this is a, a a medium where when when Brad Johnson talks about his qualifications for the U.S. Senate. You get to do it in your own words. So what are, you know, what, why are you running in this race? Let's let's just start with that. Sure. Brad Johnson, you know, we got all those things. Who you are, why you're running in this race. Uh, uh, but um, hello, Brad. First, Tom, you're right. There is, uh, I can attest uh, to the fact that there is not a teleprompter in sight in the studio. <laughs> right. So, <Yeah. laughs> um, you know, I finished my eight years on the Montana Public Service Commission a year ago, January. And, and at that time, I really pretty much thought, uh, my political uh, uh, time was 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 done, um, and uh, then I started uh, uh, really paying more attention to what was going on uh, uh, around us. That 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 commission job is all consuming, and and it pretty much it takes all of your uh, your attention. And I started looking at the fact that, from my perspective, the uh, uh, progressive wing of the Democrat Party, which frankly pretty much is the Democrat Party today. Uh, the woke movement and and cancel culture uh, were literally tearing this country apart from within. And then you added to that uh, uh, the uh, disastrous policies of Joe Biden and energy and and the border and the economy. And I came to the conclusion that uh, the future of this republic, frankly, was at greater peril today than at any time since the Civil War. Uh, and, and that really started me thinking about uh, not ending my political career because I felt obligated to try and make uh, a difference if I could. And then I started looking at the fact that Mitch McConnell and Steve Daines, uh, as uh, chairman of the National Republican Senatorial Committee, had taken it upon themselves to frankly anoint a candidate for the U.S. Senate and simply tell us as Montana Republicans who our nominee was going to be. And I just decided that was fundamentally wrong and, and that Montana Republicans deserved a choice in this primary election. And I'm committed uh, to giving that to them. I think my uh, my resume uh, speaks for itself. Twelve years in important elected office, demonstrating a commitment to serving the people of Montana, uh, some real experience and knowledge in the ag sector, in the energy sector, in the business sector. 
Uh, I bring a lot to the table in, in that regard, and uh, I think uh, I would be absolutely ready to hit the ground running when I get to Washington, D.C. as a senator representing the people of Montana. I think those are, those are very strong points uh, to, to discuss here as well. We'll, we'll pick up the, um, you know, your, your opponent and, and his position in this race in, in, in a little bit here, too, because that's important to discuss. Um, there are a lot of things, I think, uh, I want you to talk about your experience because um, you, you served uh, the public as a secretary of state and then also in the PSC, which, as you said, is a very consuming job. And uh, and you chaired that commission. Um, there, that commission has gone through an audit. It's gone through some, some difficulty. I think you had addressed that as well um, uh, late in that, too. But let's talk about that. But let's go into all those experiences so that people know um, when you say, I have a lot of confidence that I'm able to hit the ground running. Where does that confidence come from? Well, first, uh, you cannot acquire uh, an in-depth understanding of these issues overnight. So the fact that I have been directly involved in implementing, formulating, and implementing policy as it regards to these issues, the fact that I've worked in the ag sector, worked in the small business um, um, uh, community in, in, in this state, the, the fact that I've had extensive experience working with um, uh, the legislature in Montana. Uh, I understand how the legislative process works, um, but I also understand the importance of the distinction between the legislative and the executive branches of government. Uh, and I think that makes me very well-rounded to, uh, to understand the process when I get to, uh, to D.C. And you've also worked kind of on the inside of politics as well with a staff as a staffer in Ron Marlinay's office. I, I had that was a great experience uh, uh, staffing uh, Congressman Marlinay. I, I ran the Billings office for him for a couple of years. Uh, uh, you get some real insight as to how Washington works. Uh, he was a ranking member on the Interior Committee, uh, so well up the food chain, if you will. Even though the Republicans were in the minority in the House, he still had. Uh, a very important influential role in, in the House. And, and seeing that uh, from uh, the inside looking out is a ter- terribly valuable experience. It was great, great experience. Ron was a, a great guy, very complex, but, but an a incredibly principled and committed congressman. What, um, because, and this is why I enjoy talking with Brad on air and off air too, because when, when you uh, talk about some of those stories, you, you know, they, they just come up, a name will come up and oh, and I remember, and those are all these good stories. Um, the experience though of being um, a staffer in that and, and understanding how campaigns are run. Um, and we're talking, you know, the eighties, it goes back a little ways. Now we're in 2024. What and then you've still been in public service and said, "What do you see? Are we still in the same position? Has it gotten tougher? It just seems to require a lot more money now, and that's changed." Money has become just incredibly important, far too important in the process. It has it has supplanted uh, the attention that should be paid to the actual discussion of issues uh, between the candidates. I, I would be clear here in that regard. Um, uh, I am absolutely willing, ready, and, and, and would, would in fact specifically challenge today uh, Tim Sheehy to debate anytime, anywhere, uh, his choosing as often as he wants. I, I would welcome the opportunity to give the voters of Montana the opportunity to hear us exchange our personal positions and views on the issues. And, and I think the people of Montana deserve that. So, so let me be clear. I'm ready to debate, to debate any time. I, I doubt that his handlers will let him do that, given the fact that he appears to have a big lead in the polls. Um, but, um, but I think, uh, I think we should do that. Um, so agreed. So money, 
uh, money has become uh, unbelievably uh, important in this thing. When I met with Senator Daines in his uh, NRSC office in December. Prior to announcing? Uh, I had announced, uh, okay. so I went there as a candidate. Um, I, I wanted to make that. It was at our uh, request to meet with him. I wanted to make that courtesy call. Um, Steve and I go back a long way. We're, we're friends. There is no personal animosity here. I yeah. I met Steve Daines when I joined Christ the King Lutheran Church in Bozeman, Montana in 1980. His family belonged to that church, and he was, I believe, a junior in high school. So so we, we go back. Uh, Good to see the teenager in church. That's, you know? that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We go back a long way. So I want to make clear, this has nothing to do with, with Steve, the person. I, I think the world is Steve. Um, um, but in our conversation in his office, it was clear that, A, he did not believe there was room for another candidate in this race. Uh, that they wanted Tim to be the lone, the lone candidate. He had no interest in discussing um, uh, issues, uh, policies, experience, or electability. He only wanted to talk about the money. That was the only issue uh, he chose to raise. And there's no question, um, uh, Sheehy will outspend me dramatically. Look, what we've seen to this point, most of the TV, radio, and direct mail that we've seen to the first of the year was all paid for by Steve Dane's political action committee. Huge amount of money being spent to support this guy. So when, when I talk about uh, the national folks interfering in our primary election, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. I, I have no problem with, with Steve Dane's or Mitch McConnell, for that matter, saying we endorsed him, she. That's, that's one thing. But <clears throat> trying to manipulate the outcome with all of the power that you amass in those positions in D.C. is something else altogether. And that's what I object to in terms of their approach to this Senate primary. It's irked a, a number of folks as well. Um, and, and let's address that here. Um, what is it? Is it just sour grapes? Um, uh, is it, are you guys just needing to pick a fight somewhere? Um, what um, uh, is, is it just plain and simple, that level of... Um, of objection to it is don't don't pick our candidates here like well don't pick our candidates for sure um, uh, like I, I i said i thought i was done with politics this 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 is not um, some need on my part to check another box in my resume or, or, or get another job that's that's not what this is about um but we do not know tim Sheehy. i've been involved in montana republican politics for over 40 years I didn't. I never even heard the name Tim Sheehy until McConnell and Danes picked him as our Senate candidate. Uh, there are ads that say uh, he's a proven conservative leader. I see no record anywhere of his exercising or demonstrating any kind of leadership in the public policy arena. It simply doesn't exist. They say he's a political outsider, um, according to Montana Free Press. His company is 96% dependent on federal contracts. He has been handpicked, promoted, and funded by two of the most powerful D.C. insiders in Washington. Uh, I don't know how in the world you can look at those facts and say that somebody is a political outsider. That's about as inside as it gets to get that kind of support from people in those positions. So, um uh, again, uh, and we'll have Tim on the air as well uh, down the road. Um, is firefighter aerial service is one of the reasons why there's um, a lot of these government contracts. So that's his main business there as well. How do you how do you run this race and and try to you know uh, highlight the differences, highlight the experience, um, highlight those things, uh, and then it, you know, to, eventually the goal 
is to win that seat for the GOP and possibly win Congress. That's a very high goal as well. So how do you run this primary? Um, and, and then I know they're talking about it right now, too. It just seems to be uh, the party has, has got some, um, uh, I guess, communication, I think, that they need to completely uh, walk through. But how do you do this? How do you do it and, and still be strong, whether it's you or Tim, in the long run uh, when it comes time to facing John Tester? Well, first, let's point out that I haven't said anything with regard to Tim Sheehy that hasn't already been said repeatedly by the Democrats. Um, so uh, let's fast forward to a, a Sheehy tester race in November. Um, and uh, I, I promise you, I've, I've watched John Tester campaign for the U.S. Senate, and I know how incredibly effective he is. And he is, he is going to use these facts in a, in a manner that, that will be, I think, incredibly problematic for Mr. Sheehy. That's just Tester's record. Um, and, uh, one of the advantages that I bring to the race as the candidate in the general election is that unlike Tim, I, I really am from the ag community. I really am a good old boy, ag boy. I really, I, I've got that stuff on my boots from the bull lot and, and, um, uh, you know, buying a ranch doesn't make you a cowboy, but I've lived that life and I can cut into John Tester's ag base, uh, in a way that, that Tim Sheehy simply can't. Casey listening in Great Falls. We'll get to these calls right now. We want to talk about the egg credentials, Brad, that you mentioned earlier. I want to get to energy as well. But we got a couple of calls. So listening in Great Falls and talk of the town, KQDI. Casey, it's good to hear from you. You're on the air with Brad Johnson. Yeah, I want to make a comment and then uh, ask a question. My comment would be that I've, I've studied politics all my life intensely, and I see that it's all-out warfare, and especially now as the nation is kind of in a civil war on many levels, including political. And I see, I see that the leadership do not want to lose their authority in both parties. And I want to stress that. It's not just one party. Mm-hmm. And I, when I see things happen that are coincidental, so to speak, I often want to investigate the coincidence. And in this case, with, with Rosendale, I see a very strong movement within the Republican Party, not just in the Democratic Party, to get rid of anybody that attacks the uh, normal process and wants to revive different uh, things that have been lost or muted. And I think Rosendale fits that bill. The way I view Roosevelt, Ro- Rosendale I'll, I'll, I'll support him. The only way I wouldn't support him and continue to support him is, is if uh, this uh, rumor was true. I wouldn't go that far. But if that's, if that's not true, and it's really early in the game on that one, they could go in the, in the court and be there a while. But the, the point is there is a movement of anti-Trumpism to get rid of anyone that is favorable to Trump or appears to be favorable to Trump. You don't even have to be really favorable. You just have to uh, pretend to be. I think there's a and lot I of movements, though, Casey. I think there's a lot of, it's a pretty complicated, a lot of things, um, a lot of undercurrents um, in this right now. And so that's, and I, I wanted to say one more thing. I think Mitch McConnell, he not only has the influence in the Senate, he has a lot of influence in the party. He has a lot of influence in the, in the representatives, too, in the choice of them. And I know that people don't follow this all the time. That's true. There's only 
you could put everybody in the, in that category in a phone booth. And <laughs> we don't even have a phone booth. But the point is, when you have eight, eight and nine people, and people, it's like there's there's a clear movement to get rid of uh, Rosendale because he does, he's not one that, that plays well with other people sometimes. Okay, um, let's we, let's move on. We, we got we got Brad Johnson in studio here, and I and I appreciate the the sentiments I do, but I think they've been made. What's your question? Okay, my question is, well, how does he view this situation with the rumor that comes? I, there, I've had this happen, or I've seen it happen. I've had it happen in my personal experience. When you get close to power, people will start rumors, and it just uh, comes out of nowhere. So I think we need to be a little bit patient and get get to the bottom of it before we make a decision. I definitely can appreciate that call, and 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 Brad, um, you know, it's it's something to to address. So we want to talk, and this is where politics can get a little messy at times. And this is why when we talk about how important things are, and you noted um, our country is in a, in a kind of in a perilous situation, we have used politics as sort of it's drama now. And so we're not talking about securing the border. We're not talking about term limit amendments. We're not talking about election integrity and things like that. Um, and that's what I, I do want to get onto that. So this becomes, Brad, um, kind of central in in the race, but it's not central to our policies, or perhaps it is. I don't know. Well, Tom, from, from my perspective, uh, you know, politics has become – seedy enough without us participating in these kinds of conversations. And and I just, I, I frankly don't have any uh, desire to even weigh in on this. I, I it's, it's something that just doesn't need to be part of the public discourse. I want to talk about the issues. I want to talk about why I believe the people of Montana would be best served if I am honored to, to become their next senator. Well, integrity is an issue, though. In, in every race. Um, and I think that's that's kind of uh, an underlying current here as well. It's a lot, I think in my mind, a lot of underlying currents here. And what rises to uh, the level of when they go into that ballot box, what are usually, and, and people know they are, usually it's one, two, or three, or four issues that are always tops in the race. And then this rises to the top for some people. Uh, let's take a quick call. Uh, Clarence is listening in Columbia Falls. Want to get these in before we got a breakup coming here uh, in a few minutes. So Clarence, thanks for joining us. I'm glad uh, you're on here. Love the uh, signal up there, KOFI. And uh, we'll be up there. Actually, Mike uh, Hammer is going to be doing an interview. Uh, I think I'm letting the bag, a cat out of the bag a little bit um, for us here on this show in a couple of weeks with sailors coming into the studio there in Columbia Falls or in, in Kalispell. Anyway, Clarence, thank you. Uh, you're on the air with Brad Johnson. Yeah, Brad, we've been on the same uh, side of the table many times. It's Clarence from Montana for multiple years. You bet, Clarence. Good to hear from hey, you. Clarence. You know, as I reflect on, on the Congress and how they go about it, they spent all the money they and and then in the last hour, they want to balance their budget. They ought to come up with the budget before they start. But, Brad, I, rather than talk about others or situations, I would like to hear more of what uh, you would do with that with that budget. To me, that budget is so important. So what would you do with the budget, the border, and those different things? That's what I would want to hear about from Brad Johnson. What's his philosophy on these things? And what would be your recommendations for possible improvement or change? Well, Clarence, appreciate that. And that's really what I want to talk about. When we talk about the budget, um, we need to be brutally honest with ourselves. Hey, let me tell you, I am a staunch supporter uh, of a balanced budget amendment. Um, I think uh, we have uh, rightly come to the conclusion that we cannot expect the Congress to adequately discipline itself in that regard. 
and uh, we we need to uh, put that uh, that protection for all of us into the Constitution. Um, we're going to be faced with some really tough decisions as we go forward because the fact of the matter is there are not enough dollars in the discretionary spending part of the budget to uh, uh, balance uh, uh, the budget. We we can't fix things by talking about just the discretionary spending, which means we've got to have the political courage to deal with the entitlement, specifically uh, uh, Obamacare, Medicare, uh, and Social Security. We're going to have to look at ways that we can responsibly fine-tune those programs. No one is talking about doing away with any of those things, but but we simply cannot continue on the path that we're on. We're, we're going to kill the goose that laid the golden egg if we refuse to come to grips with the imbalance uh, in the budget that those programs are currently causing, so so we're going to have to we're going to have to take that uh, that approach. As far as the border is concerned, uh, there's no rocket science involved there. We understand we got to finish the wall. We got to stay in Mexico. We've got to uh, do away with catch and release, and and we'll get that fixed. And that all can be done by presidential executive order. We don't need another doggone piece of federal legislation to get us back to where we were before Donald Trump left office. Yeah. And that bill would have just ingrained some of those activities uh, that allowed illegal aliens into our country. It's such great numbers here as well. Brad4Montana.com. Again, it's Brad4Montana.com. For more information there, we have Montana U.S. Senate candidate Brad Johnson in studio here. Served the Secretary of State's office 2005 to 2009. The PSC served as a commission commission chair as well. Um, but the, those, uh, it was 2015 to 2023. Uh, and then also small businessman as well, Brad. And then you were talking some egg credentials. Um, what, uh, what, you horse guy, eh? Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and smiles. In, he smiles when that when I say that. Yeah, yeah. in in real life, uh, I am an ag guy. I've got a master's degree in animal science from uh, the University of Illinois, which at the time, at least, was one of the finest ag schools in the country. Um, have worked uh, in uh, ag extension for two major land grant universities and uh, department head for the Appaloosa Horse Club out of Moscow, Idaho, the American Quarter Horse Association in Amarillo, Texas, and then the American Simital Association in Bozeman, uh, and spent about 15 years on the family ranch. And um, so uh, the the credentials in the ag community are, are very real. I, I tell folks that having acquired a thorough understanding of animal behavior has been very helpful in the political arena. Um <laughs> So, <laughs> but that's the same thing. Uh, some sewer engineer told me um, <laughs> uh, a while ago. There you go. Uh, funny. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, the ag has, has always been just a huge part of my life. And of course it's such an important uh, uh, factor in Montana. And, and then add to that uh, the experience I have both through service on the land board and then PSC in the energy sector uh, and ag and energy obviously are two critically important issues for Montana. Well, and, and environmental groups are, are combining them and attacking them uh, in my mind with not very sound sci- uh, science. Um, and so that goes into the argument of um, uh, how, how do you defend these industries, these vital industries uh, against well, there's news out with the, the Public Service Commission. They're being tasked. I, I don't suppose there's a lawsuit, but there probably will. They're being tasked by some of these uh, extreme environmental groups to come up with policies to address climate change. And they're a long ways off from having any sort of real guidance on climate change. Well, 
First, uh, if, from my perspective, for those groups to ask the commission to be issuing policy statements uh, is, is uh, simply uh, a flawed approach to begin with. The purpose uh, or the charge, the responsibility of the commission is to implement policies that are uh, put into place by the Montana legislature. Well, right now, uh, we've got Montana statute in litigation. We don't know, ultimately, what the law is going to say. And until we know what the law says, it is unreasonable to ask the commission to craft rules to implement that law. Uh, So, uh, as far as I'm concerned, those environmental groups are are way over their skis uh, on this thing. And and, uh, we need to just take a deep breath and let the process uh, be completed. Um, I personally think that... uh, that the challenge uh, uh, to existing statute is uh, frankly frivolous. Um, I, I um, you know, that uh, legisl- uh, litigation was actually filed while I was still on the commission. And, and I said then to, to, to use these minor children uh, as tools in this political fight is just wrong. It's, it's, it, it just is inappropriate. And I hope that the state is going to prevail with its arguments against this litigation because uh, if, Here's a fact. If, if we, in fact, shuttered every single coal plant in Montana tomorrow morning, it would not make a measurable difference in CO2 levels globally. And yet it would have a huge impact. And I said in Montana, nationally, if we shuttered every coal plant in the country, it would not make a measurable difference globally in CO2 levels. And yet it would have a huge negative impact, both in terms of, of, of the culture and the economy in this country. Um, and the folks that advocate that policy don't care. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think they're carrying somebody's water that they're they're not really aware of either. Or if they are, um, their agenda has changed about things. But so that's the political environment we're in nowadays. It seems like I don't know. You're a guy of history as well, so you you can look back and and times when it was as animus as it uh, has been, or it seems like. I don't know if it is worse than it's been, or maybe it's the same as it's ever been. But navigating through that, Brad, with your experience, how do, you, how do you bring people together that are so far apart and we need to come together to have some common sense policy? Well, I think we, we do have, frankly, extremes uh, on either end of that continuum. Um, Loud extremes. And, and we probably aren't going to get uh, the far left and the far right on the same page over these things. I do believe that uh, uh, there is a tremendous opportunity if we look at Montanans and Americans that, that reside more in the middle of that continuum uh, to come up with some common sense solutions. I, I, I say about, look, we, we ought to be uh, maximizing the potential of the energy sector in, in this country. Uh, there is no question about that. Uh, we need to do it from a standpoint of national security. We need to do it from a standpoint of economic security. We need to do it even from an environmental standpoint because when we're not producing natural gas and crude oil, uh, other uh, sources are, and none of them do it as responsibly as we do. Uh, and none of them are producing the quality of product that we are producing. And, and so, so we, we are losing on, on all fronts when we arbitrarily uh, curtail energy production in this country. We've got, got to change that. I want to go to um, term limits uh, because we saw what happened in Montana. I think there were some negative effects initially. I think our legislature is adjusting and it's been, I don't know, almost 
not quite two decades, I think, since we enacted term limits in Montana. There's been a push on the national level. Um, I've always been against that, Brad. Just And I'm looking for your perspective on this. Be, just because um, I felt that was our duty as electors to stay engaged. And we already had term limits ability. Uh, but now I see how uh, deep our deep state is and how the advantages of incumbency are creating disadvantages for other candidates where, where's, what's your perspective on term well, limits in that regard? I think one of the first things you need to look at is, is terms of kind of a foundation for the discussion is the difference between the power of the incumbency for a state legislator versus a federal legislator. There is no comparison. The fact of the matter is, I think the idea of elections being term limits for state legislators is still appropriate. We're not there. We're not going to go, but Montanans love term limits. That's fine. We, we can agree to disagree on, on that. You know, I, I tell folks there's only one politician in the entire country I agree with 100% of the time, and he's talking to you now. So, and, and he's wrong sometimes, Tom. Right. So, yeah, thank you. So, yeah. uh, uh, but I do believe that Congress uh, has shown us that we cannot expect them uh, to exercise the kind of self-discipline that is necessary, and, and we're going to have to start forcing a policy that will break down that seniority system that has become so toxic. And, and I think that's a great point about the people are going to have to start exercising their full authority as well. When do we get engaged in that? Do, do things have to fall apart to the point where we won't have any ability to exercise that authority before we get enough engagement? Un- unfortunately, American history suggests that we are almost always reactionary and, and, and rarely proactive. Uh, we wait. We're, we we're, we love solving a crisis, and we're really good at it. But, good at creating uh, them too, for that matter. But we're not so good at preventing them sometimes, and 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 that's what it's going to take. I hope we're we're going to start seeing a new uh, level of appreciation and and involvement. I when I convened the House of Representatives for the purpose of their organizing in January of 2005, I said to them that we should never forget that the quality of government under which we live is never, and this is still true today, I firmly believe it, is never better than we demand nor worse than we tolerate. So we can we can complain all we want, but unless we're fully engaged and, and casting carefully considered and well-informed votes, we don't have much to complain about because we're the ones that have created the problem. And we'll, we'll continue to try and make that point. I'll do everything I can to encourage more more involvement, but ultimately it falls to the people to decide whether or not they're going to exercise their role and their responsibility to make this government what they want it to be. Former Secretary of State uh, also served on the PSC for a couple of uh, um, terms. Brad Johnson, Montana U.S. Senate candidate here, bradformontana.com. Another Brad we talk to frequently on the program is State Senator Brad Molnar, who's got a question. Brad, uh, thanks for calling in. I hope you're well. Yeah, and uh, I hope you stay well, young man. Thank you. My question, and I realize we're short for time, but Brad Johnson brings a, a, a depth and a breadth of background that is very rare in people running for the uh, federal offices. But in this case, I want to talk to him about uh, from his PSC experience, and that's what's called PURPA Section 210, which is a law that goes, it's a federal law, goes back to Speaker Tip O'Neill, it's that old, which is a huge bugaboo in trying to uh, maintain uh, uh, reliable, affordable rates. It's a big driver. The PSC has almost no say over it. And when they do try to uh, make some sanity, the courts have struck them down. I'm not going to go any deeper. I'll let candidate uh, Johnson kind of flesh that out and tell me what he thinks at the federal level 
he might be able to do, and he might not even agree with me. So with that, I turn it over to him. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate that. Thanks, uh, Brad. I appreciate that. Both of you guys uh, have served on the PSC commission, yes, by the yes, way. Yes, that's, that's that. right. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> Senator Molnar's correct. PURPA uh, is is a, a real disaster. Without PURPA, Montana's uh, uh, electric portfolio would be far stronger and more reliable and more affordable than it is today. There's no question about that. Keep in mind, 1978, when PURPA was passed into law, uh, there were two unassailable assumptions uh, in, in place. One, we had already pumped every single barrel of crude oil in North America that we would ever pump. And two, we were less than 10 years away from being completely out of natural gas. So so the, the energy law that's dictating policy today was based on those two assumptions. That's, mm-hmm. that's the first thing I want to make clear. Wow. The only way, um, in my mind, to fix this situation is for the federal government to repeal PURPA, period. It is it is long outlived. It's whatever usefulness it ever had. And I would be uh, uh, completely supportive of an effort to simply repeal the law at the federal level. Thank you, Brad, for that call. I appreciate that. I'm going to have to look into that as well. I mean, and, and that's probably not the only thing on the books uh, that, that we can scrape a little bit. Sometimes it's scraped clean, but, and there have been some efforts toward that. You talked earlier about the will in Congress, and I've not been impressed about the will in Congress to get things done. I think politics has, has played a part in that. We only got a couple of minutes left, and I, if you want to address that, do. But there are so many things uh, on the plate as well. Securing the border. Election integrity is another one that, that's come to my mind. I don't think that we have the will to get in there and really look at the issues that um, have, have arisen since this 2020 election. Yep. There's so much I'd still love to visit with you about, Tom. We'll have time. We're, we're just we're just out of time. But let me let me say this because it ties into a lot of what we said, especially our conversation about people being involved productively in the system. Uh, we've got huge challenges to face in this country, and and I will tell you that uh, America's uh, journey back to greatness is not going to be an easy one. But I will also tell you, I, I'm a child of the '60s, and I have vivid memories of John Kennedy announcing that America would send a man to the moon and return him safely to the earth before the uh, end of that decade. And he said, we choose to do these things not because they're easy, but because they're hard. And the fact of the matter is we are at a point in terms of this country's future where it really does fall to us now to, uh, to quit being complacent, to choose to do these hard things. This race is going to be hard. If we win, the challenges in Washington are going to be hard. It's going to be hard for Montanans uh, to, uh, to step up and, and make the differences that need to be made. But we have to do it. And, and, and here's the deal. We, we need to choose to do the hard things because it's the right thing and because, honestly, it is the only way that we can, as the framer so eloquently put it, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. It does truly fall to us to make that happen. Uh, and, and that's what my presence in this race is all about, to try and be a catalyst uh, for the folks to come together in that effort. And we can do it. And we can do it. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate that. Look, we'll chat again, okay? Look forward to yeah, it, Tom. Yeah. And then all the experience that Brad Molnar had noted, that's very, uh, very important, too. So when you get out, uh, find out where he is on the trail, bradformontana.com. Ask the hard questions uh, and, and then strike a conversation and stay engaged. You guys, have, thank you for being a part of this show as well. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. Please share and subscribe and let us know what you think. Email me at tom at voicesofmontana.com. And don't forget, we're on weekdays on your hometown radio stations all across Montana. We hope to hear from you there, too.